Welcome to episode 12 of the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi de la Cruz. Today's guest is Adina, an immigration attorney and financial and business coach. She and her husband run Immigrant Finance, where they help immigrants with their finances, like getting into investing and starting their own businesses. Adina tells us about her time in Egypt doing immigration refugee work and refugee work in Ecuador, which is actually where she met her husband. All right. And really quick before we get into the episode, um, for anybody who is a podcast host, not ghost, oh my gosh, host or have guests on their shows, if you would like to get paid for interviewing people, um, you can sign up with Podmatch. That's P-O-D-M-A-C-H, where you can get paid for interviewing people. So in the show notes, you will see my affiliate link so you can start getting paid today. All right, now to the episode. Thank you and enjoy. No, no problem. No, thank you so much for um, being willing to come and share your experience. It's going to be interesting because... I've thus far, my guests have been, you know, immigrating to the uh, the United yeah. States and you are going to be sharing your experiences in two different countries that you've been in. And yeah. so um, I feel like, I don't know if you've heard of the show 90 Day Fiance. I have. <laughs> okay. And then, so like they have spinoffs and then like one of the spinoffs is the other way. So it's like when Americans leave to go, um, live in a different country of the person that they fall in love with. So I feel like by oh, this episode, it? it's like the other way, like, uh, you know, the American dream, and the, so immigrants, but the other way. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to see that one. Oh my God. That sounds much more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because again, you get to see other countries and you get to see yeah. like the culture and see how, how it is, you know, where they live. And if you've been out of the United States, you know, immediately the difference of living here and then living in or being in a different country so yeah yeah it's, it's a very good show there is a big difference that's awesome yeah. I, I learned something new today already oh yay awesome. <laughs> well all right um just like promised that i have sent you the question so let's start off with telling us a little bit about yourself like your background where you're from and then we're gonna go um see what events actually led you to living in egypt for a year yeah that sounds great yeah and thank you again so much for for having me on um sorry can you hear me okay yes i can okay um great yeah so a little bit about me uh, my name is adina applebaum i i'm an immigration attorney and an accredited financial counselor and i I specialize in helping immigrant families with financial planning and wealth building. Um, and my background and what led me to lead to, e- to go to Egypt. So I went to Egypt to do refugee law work um, in the beginning of my immigration law journey. I, it's, a very, it's a very crazy story how I ended up there, but to sum it up, um, you know, sometimes in life, you just meet these people you're supposed to meet and they tell you, you know, what to do. And it's like this life changing experience. So <laughs> I was um, actually studying abroad in Oxford. And um, there was this woman there who's like the founder of the refugee, refugee law legal movement in developing countries. Um, and she was she lived in Egypt part of the time and the UK part of the time and Africa, parts of Africa. 
and she happened to be there when I was there. I had read all her books. Um, and so I figured I might as well just email her and see if she's willing to meet with me while I'm here. It's, you know, I'm sure she won't respond, but might as well. And she responded in five minutes and told me to come over immediately to her flat. And I went over and for about six hours, she made me watch all these documentaries about um, refugees in other countries and told me all about the nonprofit she started in Egypt. And she said, you, here's how you're gonna go there. And by the way, she was chain smoking the whole time. And there was um, refugees coming in and out of her apartment the whole time. <laughs> and she said, um, you know, you're going to go apply for a Fulbright grant to get the funding to go. And you're going to go for a year and you're going to provide legal aid to people in Cairo. And so I said, OK. And I went for it and it worked out. <laughs> That's how I got to Egypt. But wow. I had been studying. Um, I had been studying Arabic and Middle East studies in college as well. Wow, that's amazing. That is a, a very <laughs> interesting story of how you ended up there. And how long were you there? I was there for a year, and it also happened to be the year of the Arab Spring and the revolution. Mm. So, And I was living about five minutes away from Tahrir Square, where the big revolution happened in Cairo. And so it was a really crazy and fascinating experience to be there, like, in the lead up kind of during and after all of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And so um, what cultural shocks did you experience um, in Egypt? Um, I would say, honestly, the main one was like how warm and community oriented the people were. I, I don't mm. think I have been, I've been very prepared for all the cultural stuff. And, you know, I knew to cover my arms and legs and wear a scarf on my head and how to handle um, the, you know, the harassment that happens on the street there for women. So a lot of the hard stuff people struggle with, I was kind of mentally prepared for, but I, I had never lived in a, in such different culture um, where the people are so warm and family oriented and want to be together all the time. Um, yeah. And turns out it's like really similar to other cultures, at least in um, Ecuadorian culture where my husband's from. Yeah. So I think it's common in a lot of other countries, but I hadn't personally experienced that um, for a long period. And so making, you know, close friends there and, um, you know, I, I had some family friends there, like spending time with families. It was it was really kind of overwhelming how little time you have alone and like, to even think alone, you know, you're constantly socializing. So it was amazing. It was just pretty overwhelming for my brain at times. Yeah. Did you live with um, the woman who gave you the information about the, the grant and everything? Did you live with her or, or who did you no. live with? Who did you stay with? Um, I lived with a couple other young women um, in the same fellowship program I was in. Um, okay. And a friend from high school who happened to be there as well working. Oh, interesting. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. And did you like say, did you make like any friends? Like, do you still keep in contact with anybody that you've met while in your time over there? Yeah, I have one really close Egyptian friend named Musa, um, who, you know, we try and stay in touch. And yeah, he, he's just an amazing person. He was actually um, a lawyer in Egypt. So I got to learn about mm. the legal system from him. And he um, took me on a lot of really cool day trips and adventures. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. 
Nice. Um, and met some really cool people I I'll, lost touch with too. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, I met a lot of really cool um, people, like especially from the Bedouin culture, just really amazing people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's cool. Like if you have an experience like that and then you just meet these people who just become, you know, lifelong friends, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, what would you say is one thing that you liked about being in Egypt? Oh, okay. I loved how it was like a very mystical place to be. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just incredible. I mean, we would go camping in the desert and go see, um, you know, an oasis in the middle of the desert. And just the people there are very spiritual and like very mm. connected to this larger universal energy. So that was the first time I was really exposed to that. And it's very, very vibrant in Egypt and just absolutely gorgeous environments. Yeah. And what is one dislike? the USA it was like mm, not any like this too much <laughs> definitely the traffic <laughs> oh the traffic <laughs> oh my gosh the traffic and the pollution for sure oh yeah yeah I feel like I mean because I've mentioned this in another episode when I talked to uh, one of uh, a guest from India and she mentioned you know th that as well like just the traffic over there is crazy and the way that mm -hmm. she was like it's like survival and it like reminded yeah. me of the Dominican Republic how like it's the same thing as like you're trying to like survive when you're driving but then it's uh -huh. like yeah <laughs> and then here like depending on where you're from in the United States it, it could be you know we get traffic jams but it's not like how it is in other countries where you're like literally like trying to like navigate <laughs> through people and motorcyclists yeah. and things like that there's like no lights or rules at all yeah exactly <laughs> or like, like they don't follow you know? yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, so since you did refugee work over there um is there any well, I wanted to ask about, because you said your friend was also an immigration attorney over there, or that he was just an attorney in Egypt? Uh, just an attorney. Not just an attorney. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. So, because I was going to ask, like, if you, was there any, like, similarities between, like, the Egyptian um, immigration laws and, like, here, kind of say, well, but. Well, I was doing refugee law work there, so I can tell yeah. you about the refugee system. Um, okay. Very, very different. So that's like a subset of immigration law, but um, they are, the UN actually was managing all of the refugee stuff um, instead of the Egyptian government. And they had oh, like, okay. so to give you some context, Cairo is one of the largest refugee populations in the world because it's one of the biggest uh, urban areas in the region and people are coming from fleeing displacement and and persecution and torture from all over Africa and the Middle East and mm. other parts of the world too. So there's a lot of refugees there and the government has pretty much, you know, and this was 10 years ago, it may have changed, but I don't think it has. The government was pretty much hands up. And so the UN um, was essentially assessing who had the best cases to get resettled because mm. it was established that it was not feasible to resettle there because um, refugees didn't have the right to work in Egypt. So it wasn't a permanent solution. So pretty much all refugees qualified for resettlement, which is to be brought to a third country like US, Canada, kind of Australia, 
but you know they could there's very limited numbers so essentially the whole system is like trying to find the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable like people you know who need like heart surgery that they don't have there and things like that um so that's what the work i was doing was interviewing a lot of people and telling their stories to advocate for them mm. to be considered oh wow um, i did not know that they are the biggest um you know like refugee center like that's that's interesting to know one of the biggest for sure yeah 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 wow that's very interesting um what uh let's switch over to ecuador because you um also did um you were also in ecuador mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i wanted to know what events actually led you to go to ecuador yeah, it was similar also to do refugee work um I had thought, you know, I wanted to be like an international refugee lawyer at the time. And I mm. eventually made, made, made my way back to the U.S. But um, I really wanted to understand what refugees in Latin America were going through and get a better sense of that. Um, and so Ecuador also has one of the largest refugee populations um, in Latin America. Okay. Um, lot you know, it's changed over the years, but a lot of people um, at that time from Colombia fleeing displacement. Um, now there's a lot of people from Venezuela and some other countries as well. Um, but yeah, so I went there to do an internship for the summer and I also met my husband when I was there. So that was, that was not why I went, but it was the most significant <laughs> part of it for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And how long were you in Ecuador for? Uh, just the summer when I went, but yeah, I've just, been back okay. many times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so within that summer, you met your now husband. Oh, that's a nice, yeah. nice little love story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, what was he, what was he doing? Like, how did you guys meet? What was he doing there that you guys crossed paths? Um, so I knew him through a friend of mine from college who had worked with him. Okay. Um, in like, another international internship. Um, he had been in Vienna working at the UN there with her in an internship. And it was very funny because he was actually supposed to be in DC where I was living um, when I was there, but he delayed it to save money for DC because it was going to be an unpaid internship. So our story really began with finances and immigration, which is funny because now we run immigration finance together. Um, but yeah, so he happened to be there, um, but he was, about to go to dc when we met so it was kind of like oh we might be in the same place after this too oh yeah happened. nice yes oh and so while in ecuador that that time that you were there for the summer um any cultural shocks that you experienced there um mostly the altitude not culture oh <laughs> the altitude <laughs> Yeah, in Quito, it's really high up. Um, yeah, and I think just, you know, learning more about um, Latino culture. I was pretty new to it. I've been studying Middle Eastern culture for many years. Mm. Um, so I was pretty fresh to that. And it was most striking how many similarities there were with Arab cultures in terms of like, the, you know, strong family connections and, you know, really good people and like love of food and dancing. Um, yeah, just was a bit easier culture wise in Ecuador than Egypt. <laughs> than Egypt? Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Like I didn't have to like cover my body in the street and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so talk to me. I've I don't think I've ever been to a place that's like really high in altitude. So like what what do you feel when when you're that high up? You know, it, it happens pretty much every time I go still. And it's so funny is it, it just started happening to my husband now too, because he's now mm. been in living in the US a while. So he's like kind of gringo now. It's we make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> he never experienced it. But um it take it can take a couple of days to sit uh to to sink in. Usually it's like headache and just feeling kind of um out of it. But mm. lately the past few times I've been going, I've been getting um sick in my stomach and you know all that so <laughs> yeah but I don't know if it's it might have just been also um not having germs after quarantine and the pandemic and you know finally oh, traveling yeah. and being exposed to the world again yeah so I actually wanted to ask you this when we were talking about Egypt but it, it slipped my mind and now it came back um talk yeah. to me like or you can tell me about both Egypt and Ecuador like the food and like the difference oh. and how, how was adapting to eating the different foods? The food is amazing, but I mean, I just love food, any, any food from other cultures. I always yeah. enjoy. Um, so just, you know, so much more flavor, um, in, in Egypt, um, you know, the best, the best Arab food, I hope I don't offend anyone. <laughs> the best <laughs> Arab food kind of in Egypt was known to be Lebanese. Mm -hmm. So there okay. were a lot of really amazing Lebanese restaurants, but the Egyptian food, um, you know, a lot of fresh, incredible um, vegetables and fruits mm. that, you know, everything's kind of like organic because they, they're just growing it, you know, um, yeah. not as many chemicals, right? Similar to Ecuador. Yeah. So just really amazing, like pomegranates and um the the most famous dish of like street food in Egypt is called koshri. This is a little funny thing too. So um, it's basically like kind of macaroni with lentils. And I think there's like some hot sauce and vinegar and ketchup and like maybe some onions. I'm trying to remember. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So people joke that it's either what like a five-year-old would love eating or a really drunk person. <laughs> <laughs> And you can get it for super cheap. I mean, I can't remember how much it was, but I think it was less than a dollar and it would fill you up for days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. And how often um, do you guys go back to Ecuador? Well, for a while, we really only could every couple of years because we yeah. were pretty tight financially, um, especially with Mal getting on his feet in, in the U.S., but um, okay. we've definitely over time made that a priority in our budgeting and our financial planning. Um, so we now lately have been, especially now that we have a daughter, um, at least once a year. Yeah. Yeah. And having okay. time for her to see her grandparents and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That family connection is so important. That's awesome, mm -hmm. though. Yeah, thank you. I feel really fortunate. I know a lot of people don't have um, mm -hmm. you know, the ability to travel due to immigration reasons. So yeah, don't don't yeah. take it for granted. Yeah, definitely. And so you've obviously been out of the United States. You know how it is um, outside of here. Do you see yourself living outside of the U.S. in the future? I think I will later in life. Um, mm. You know, it's with kids, it makes it more complicated because it's, it's harder to take them in out of school unless you 
yeah. homeschool them, you know, or like, um, so we haven't really, I think, gotten there to figure that out. Um, but definitely open to it. I mean, Mal and I both have lived in a lot of different countries and love traveling and yeah. um, I think we're starting to get the itch. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Are, are you thinking about it at all? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm trying to convince my husband to uh-huh. move out of the United States. Yeah. Um, funny because he was born in the Dominican Republic and, nice. you know, he came when he was nine. So I've just been researching about like, you know, different countries um, to live in. You know, I, I love being like, I love being here. Right. I love being mm-hmm. in the United States because I, if you've been out, you know how, privileged we are yeah, how absolutely. yeah how so many things make our life easier here it's definitely um, easier yeah, yeah. but the, you know there's or there's certain things that i um don't really like like for the food yeah we have different like cultures here so we have access to different foods but we all know that there's a lot of processed foods here. There's a lot of chemicals yeah, in our food. There's absolutely. Yeah. And then trying to get good food, like healthy food is expensive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you is. know, so just certain things, um, the healthcare system, I work in the healthcare. So mm-hmm. I know how for profit it is, which yeah. is unfortunate, yeah. but, and like, you know, I've done research on different other countries that have, health like healthcare is not an issue you know like you you're not going to go into debt for being sick so there's you know every country has its pros and cons um but i've definitely done research on different countries for us to move so i'm just trying to convince my husband Mm -hmm. so definitely like you said it'll be like in the future um maybe retirement or something like that because like you said you know we have two kids so it does get complicated Uh with with kids but yes i've definitely thought about it I've done my my research and and yeah, so my answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, everybody's been talking about Portugal lately. We're we're actually going on September to visit um, some of my best friends who moved there. They quit their yeah. jobs and moved and started businesses and all that. Um, but I heard that's really good for the healthcare costs in retirement. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's good, that's good to know. Ecuador also has a great um, health system. A lot of Americans retire there. Oh, nice. I did research on Costa Rica. I haven't been, but I'm in love with it. And I haven't even been, but like the research that I've heard about it and and, and done, and like even people who I know have visited, it seems like it would be a good place to, to retire. I support that. I have been, it's stunning. It's like just an amazing place. And they don't have an army. Have you heard that yep. about them? Mm-hmm. So there's just like this kind of vibe. Where it's just, I don't know. I feel like it trickles down and it's just more peaceful there. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're saying it's pura vida. And it's just yeah. like, I've heard like once you go there, you're just like, it's just like Zen. It's like so calm mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just so different. But yes, I had read about the army and that they use, instead of doing that, the having army, they use the money and resources for like education and, and things like that. And like natural resources, which is something that, so you know, I feel like, you know, like it's, it's a much peaceful 
uh, standard of living, you know? And yep. that was one thing that I was thinking about when I was talking about the United States. It's like here, there's such a fast pace of life, yeah. you know, and it can get really stressful, but like very yeah. quickly. And, you know, stress is, is, you know, there's good stress and then there's bad stress, but stress can lead to, you know, heart attacks, strokes, and, and yeah. having your body shut down if you're not like, Absolutely. you know, taking care. But yes, definitely. I've definitely heard of Costa Rica and definitely did my research to try to move over there. That would be great. And what, what you're saying um, reminds me also, you know, and thinking about like some of the challenges living in other countries, there's this different kind of stress of how oh, things yeah. Mm -hmm. are not easy right so like you know there's this um in egypt there's this one big awful government building where you have to go for everything and to like get you know one piece of paper you need you have to like pay off a bunch of bribes and like wait all day oh yes mm -hmm. <laughs> it's this whole thing and like you know in ecuador um safety is a big thing like there's constant stress from that and yeah our our uh, my my husband's um, grandfather was like robbed with a knife this year and, and got stabbed this year yeah. in his home in the same home where his parents live wow. you know where we go all the time so it's just like it's interesting the different types of stress right because we yeah, hear yeah, it's definitely. terrible you hear it's terrible too but you, I think you gotta kind of pick your battles or something no that's true definitely true because it they reminded me of the Dominican Republic. You know, I've, I've gone to visit family and everything. And when we go, they always tell you, like, don't wear a lot of jewelry if you're yeah. going to be out. Don't be out with your cell phone and, and things like that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when I've obviously that doesn't happen like in the resorts, but you still have to be careful everywhere yeah. you go. But I definitely understand where you're coming from because it's the same thing like when we go visit. And I recently saw, I think it was on Instagram, this video where this, she, she was in the Dominican Republic in the capital and she had her phone out, right? Mm -hmm. And she was just driving to like show how many people were telling her like, yo, put your phone away. Like you're going to get robbed kind of thing. And then it was like everybody who would see her just driving out with her phone out like wow. recording. Yeah, would tell her like, put it in your pocket, put it away. Like it's going to get robbed. I mean, in the video, it didn't get robbed, but it's like, you know, like you said, it's different types of stress. So you just got to yeah. pick and choose your your battles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're making me think of so many different memories. So to just give you like an example of that too, of how the duality of it. So like in Ecuador at the same time, I have had my laptop stolen while it was mm. in my bag wrapped around my legs eating lunch. And I didn't, they're like, I didn't even notice right when it was taken out. Wow. But another time I left my, my phone, my iPhone in a taxi and the taxi driver came back and tracked me down and spent like half a day finding me to give it back, which wow. would never happen here. It would never happen in the US ever, you know, yeah. <laughs> people. So it's just interesting how, I don't know. It's so different. Yeah. It's so different. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Wow. Um, so I think your work is so important and I definitely want to, yeah, give a little bit of what you do because honestly, you're the first person who I know focuses or I've seen and connected with focuses on finance for migrants. And I feel like it was God that sent 
like your page to me because <laughs> when I found you, I Aww. had just recently started doing research on investing. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband and I right now are trying to, you know, get our finances together. And we're yeah. thinking long term. So it's like, like a day or two before, like I started doing research on it, I came across your page and I was like, look at God, because you oh. specifically target migrant families. And I know that this is something very close to your heart um, because of what happened um, with you and your husband and everything. Mm-hmm. So definitely I want to end this conversation because, you know, my target audience, obviously I wanted to be more um, non-migrants, right? So they can learn about the immigration process. Mm. But the majority, some people who do listen, the, probably the majority of people who do listen are migrant families, are mm-hmm. immigrants. And so, yeah, so I want to end this with, you know, you sharing what you do, um, why it's so close to your heart and how people can connect with you. Sure. And first of all, congrats to you and your husband for making that decision to like start taking your finances more seriously. That I feel like that's the hardest part is really yeah. just getting there. And then it's just the how, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm excited for you all and, and for how your lives will improve. Um, yeah. And thanks for, for the opportunity to share more about immigrant finance. So how it started, it really was from that personal experience. Um, after we got back from Ecuador, my husband moved here a few months later to start his unpaid internship with his last savings, you know, and try the best he could to get hired to stay on after. Um, And we just struggled a lot with money for several years. He was on these short-term contracts at the international organization where they'd be like two, three months. We never know if they'd be renewed. Um, and we never, you know, it was constant fight or flight mode, not knowing if we'd be able to be mm. in the same country. Um, we were both being underpaid. I was, I was a law student and then I was working, um, you know, as a first year attorney at a nonprofit getting paid very small amount. So it was just rough and money was like a really big part of our experience. And I would search and try to figure stuff out and I just couldn't get over how there was nothing out there about what immigrants could do because I didn't know what he could do and not do with, with yeah. his status and if he lost his status. Right. Um, and you know, he didn't even have a driver's license. So like figuring out getting a high interest bank account or a credit card or investing was, yeah. was really overwhelming. And here I was um, as an immigration lawyer and I couldn't find anything, you know? Um, so it ended up being one of those things where it was just like a lot of pain, you know, we went through mm-hmm. clearly for a reason so we could help other people. And we eventually, in, he, he came here in 2013. And then in 2018, we started a blog about the topic at our website, immigrantfinance.com. Um, we managed that website up until a few months ago when we got a grant to redo it um, and just started creating resources to guide people through that intersection of the financial immigration system. So I've spent the past 10 years kind of obsessively, um, you know, researching everything on both sides and piecing it together and building a system that pretty much I wish someone handed us when we came, when Mal came here. Um, yeah. Of like how to set everything up. So that the main way we help people is our signature program called Immigrant Finance School. Um, and it's really comprehensive, like everything you need to know about 
finances in the US, no matter what status you have, you know, we walk you through um, how to navigate it all. The main thing people need to know is that if you don't have a social security number, um, you'll need to have what's called an individual tax identification number or ITIN, mm. um, which you can get through the IRS. Um, they have a law that prohibits them from sharing your information with ICE mm. or other people or agencies. Um, oh, wow. I always like to tell people this because people don't know the only exception to that law is if someone were to have some kind of like, you know, criminal fraud tax offense, then okay. they would be able to share it. But otherwise they can't even, and I, I've confirmed this talking to the IRS directly, they can't even share information about taxpayers with their colleagues. Um, there's oh, just wow. such okay. serious privacy protections, right? Um, so that's why there's millions of undocumented immigrants paying taxes and who have ITINs and don't face immigration consequences because of that. And that allows them to do everything. So if you have the ITIN, there's nothing you can't do financially. You can have a bank account, credit card, investment accounts, take out a mortgage, start a business, like the sky's the limit. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we do a lot of education to get the word out about that, um, especially in, in our podcast. Um, I host Immigrant Finance Podcasts. We're constantly talking about this stuff. So I would I would say that's a good resource for people looking to learn more. Awesome. Yes. Okay. And I will definitely include those links um, in the show notes so people can connect with you, um, sign up for the finance school. And I know that you do also consultations, right? Yes, we offer free 30-minute consultations. Awesome. And uh, wow, that is amazing work. And I love how, since it's so like personal and close to you guys, that you guys want to help other migrant families. And I hope that with this episode, um, it will reach more people that may need help or may not, you know, may need information that they not know about finance because I myself am learning right now and I was born here. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, it's just a lot of information that we don't know. And unless you're like, you know, in a bind or something that you need to try to figure out, okay, so what, what can I do with, if, with my status and what can't I do kind of thing. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for this work that you're doing for just being here and sharing this information. I've learned a lot and um, I'll definitely be in contact with you. Cause like I said, me and my husband are trying to, you know, build long-term um, plan long-term and, and everything yeah, like that. So, it. yeah. Um, is there any last thing that you would like to share uh, I just want to thank you so much for, for having me and getting the chance to share more about my story and our work. And um, I really hope to have you on our podcast too and learn more about you and your background um, and share with our audience. So yeah, thank you again just so much. And the last thing I'll just mention is um, probably the best way to contact us is on Instagram and mm -hmm. our, our this is um, immigrant.finance. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Heidi. Talk to you soon. Take care. Yes. Bye. bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are wanting to be a guest on this podcast, please send me a message on Instagram. Or if you know someone who would be willing to share their immigration journey, please send them my information. Um, the link to my Instagram is in the show notes. 
If you haven't yet, please leave a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast so other people can learn about it and share with a friend. This is the best way that we can reach as much people as possible. Thank you so much for your continued support. Until next time.